and that's the nation of Moab. And probably I should have given you a map, but since it's only two things to remember, there's, uh, there's Israel, there's Moab, I don't think it'll be too hard. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Okay, so we're introduced to a lot of characters right here. But notice the first words, in the days when the judges ruled. So this is probably 12th century uh, BC or maybe late 11th century. It's before there were kings. It's that time where there's a lot of chaos in the land, although it doesn't seem so bad in Judah. Oh, notice, this man is from Bethlehem. There's the famous Bethlehem in the south. There's the lesser-known Bethlehem in the north. This is the famous one, the one near Jerusalem, where David was born. And because of the famine, they leave, and they cross the Jordan. They go to Moab. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons, Mahlon and Chilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. Okay. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Mahlon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, the book of Ruth, it's short but powerful. This book is written from a woman's point of view. And next time you read it, whether you're female or male, pay attention to that detail. Naomi, her husband Elimelech is forced off his land because of famine. It must have been very bad. Presumably they ran out of green vegetables like broccoli. But anyway, they left. Uh, it was, this is not uncommon in the ancient world for famine to uh, really slam those who are living hand to mouth. And if they can't grow on their land, then they, they become displaced. Ruth moves with her uh, husband, her husband dies, uh, and, her, uh, and the sons, and the sons also die after they marry. And so these daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, um, are also widows like Ruth, like the mother-in-law. They've lost their husbands, and actually their husbands' names are not very encouraging. Mahlon sounds like illness in Hebrew, and Chilion sounds like come to an end. But Naomi will return to Bethlehem. She's been away a long time, more than a decade. And we pick up the story as she's bidding farewell to her daughters-in-law. Thank you for reading the text before my message, uh, the, the, uh, the reading from Ruth 1, 16, 17. Jane. That passage is often considered a wedding passage because it, it's a declaration of love and commitment. But we'll find out just how appropriate that is. Now, we're not simply interested in history. We want to understand God's voice for us today. We want to understand the application of the message. But that requires that we pay attention and as much as possible, try to put ourselves back into their situation and understand uh, words and the pictures and the events the way they would have been understood, as recalled. They didn't have COVID at that time, but we do. Uh, this is something that affects every one of us, either medically or economically, 
or both. And even if it didn't, it affects us because we should care about the world. Um, these are tough things. And as everyone knows, especially India right now, where is this leading? We have uh, tensions over racial issues, for example, in my country, but uh, the United States, but it's not just there, this is global because globally there's systemic uh, racism, there's oppression, there's supremacy, imperialism, uh, leftover colonialism. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. This is what people do to each other. This is what politics does. It's the management of power. It's one group putting itself above another group. As Christians, we show a different way. Well, these are difficult times now for many of us, but I'd like us to focus not in the 21st century AD, but on the second millennium BC, that is the late 1000s. This is before David is born, some generations before. And again, the challenges that these people are facing, our characters, uh, Naomi, Ruth, uh, are famine and dislocation, not of joints, but uh, geographic dislocation. It's hard to have to move if you don't want to move. And some of us have had to move not wanting to. That's hard. They face uh, the experience of widowhood. Uh, they face the uh, challenge of childlessness. Childlessness, not Naomi, but uh, her daughters-in-law have no children. Naomi has no grandchildren, which is very similar to being childless herself because the line of the family will end otherwise. Well, let's uh, read a little bit more. Almost all of the message today is from just chapter one. Well, then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now, so remember, initially they left, they left Judah, they left the area of Bethlehem, somewhere that's in the southern part of, of Israel. They left and they went to Moab to have food, but now it's kind of, well, they need to leave Moab. And they're realizing that there's food and probably a better situation in Bethlehem. Verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Of course, they don't have husbands. That's the point. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, 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 we will return with you to your people. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Notice there the difference in verb. Orpah kissed, Ruth clung. So they lifted up her voices, they wept again. Verse 15, Naomi said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined, Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more. Well, now we've read right past the uh, preliminary scripture. And certainly, verse 16, verse 17 are some of my favorite verses uh, in Ruth and in the Old Testament. 
At the time when I was getting to know my future wife, she was one of the early university baptisms in London. I moved to the UK. I landed in the UK June 15th, uh, 1982. Uh, we began the church officially uh, just two, two or three weeks later. Uh, early the next year, uh, Vicky was baptized. I, I liked her. I didn't want to rush her because she was a young Christian. So I waited five days before asking her on a date for the following week. And um, the, the relationship grew. And in the second year of knowing her, then we started uh, you know, having a, a date kind of time every week. And at one point, I wrote a letter to her. And it was, uh, it was a, a love letter, basically, although for me, it was kind of combination Bible study and, and a little bit of personal information. I'm not... Um, uh, maybe a romantic at heart, but I don't know. I don't really know. I'm not good at expressing these things. But I, I, in that letter, I thought of myself as Boaz and 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 my and Vicky as Ruth. Although I didn't mention marriage and I didn't refer to these things, but actually I was wrong. I mean, it was a wonderful letter, but um, where I was wrong is this declaration of love that Ruth makes is towards her mother-in-law. It's not towards Boaz, although I believe she loves him later. It's towards her mother-in-law, and that itself, many of us would admit, is a remarkable thing. So we note Ruth's determination to stay with Naomi. It's heroic. Her sister, Orpah, um, is not quite as determined. So one plays it safe, the other steps out in faith, her sister-in-law, that is. One wants to become a wife again. The other wants to remain a daughter, a daughter-in-law. Whereas Orpah kisses, Ruth clings. One joins God's people in God's land, in Israel. The other remains in pagan Moab, Moab, where they worship Chemosh and other gods. Now, to be fair, we shouldn't read too much into the text. We might want to say that Orpah failed. Uh, she made a bad decision. She's actually not blamed. She's not censured. Uh, so that's the jury's out on that one, whether she did the wrong thing or the right thing. However, we are able to see the difference here between Orpah and Ruth, that one kissed, but the other clung and did not want to let go. So Ruth realizes that Naomi's God, that is Yahweh, that's the Old Testament word for God. It appears almost 7,000 times. Yahweh is the true God not the Moabite gods, not these other gods. So we realize that Ruth, and this is what's important here. This is not just a love story. Ruth is taking a stand for monotheism. Realize all the surrounding peoples everywhere. I mean, uh, Ammon, Moab, Edom, uh, Egypt, uh, Syria, all, all the other places worshipped multiple gods. Only Israel worshipped a single god. And Ruth takes a solemn oath. She calls on the name of Yahweh. She invokes that name, and she's determined. And that's remarkable in the time of the judges, because this is a period when many of God's people, you know, quote, unquote, uh, many of God's people are not following Yahweh. They're flirting. They're tempted. They're committing spiritual adultery with the gods of the nations. Another thing that strikes me is that as Ruth departs from her country, Moab, and comes to Judah. She moves west to Judah. She's very much like Abraham or Abram. In Genesis 12, Abram and Sarai, 
Abraham and Sarah, leave their land, and they also uh, move uh, west. They, they leave, and it's a uh, even longer walk, but they leave in faith. And this reminds me of many Christians, and probably a number of you have moved from one city to another, or maybe from one nation to another, and you've left your homeland in faith. You didn't know exactly what would happen. Uh, it may have been exciting, it may have been terrifying, but it does take a certain courage. And, and I would even say, even if you're not afraid, it requires a certain moral fortitude. You gotta be tough because in times of transition, there's a lot going on. We have to stay focused and you know, control our feelings. And Ruth, like Abraham, sets out in faith. And she's about to immerse herself in a new culture and go to a place where she knows no one. Presumably, she knows nobody there except for her mother-in-law who's going with her. Ruth's oath also goes well beyond the death of Naomi. This is something until my last fairly recent study of Ruth I had never seen. Ruth doesn't simply say, until the day you die, I'll be with you, we'll dwell in the same place, and I'll be loyal to you. She actually says, where you are buried, I will be buried. Now, that it probably assumes that Naomi would die first. That's not, you know, it's not actuarially uh, unrealistic. She, she is of a different generation. She probably would die first. But Ruth is saying that where you die, I will be buried. In other words, her intent is not to, to go back to Moab. She's not thinking of going back there. And certainly she had some connections there because she's from Moab. Rather, she's saying, not only will, will I uh, recommit myself to serving the God of Israel, Yahweh, but I will be buried here. This is permanent. Well, as permanent as burial can be. That was a little detail I had never noticed. So this profession of faith is amazing. And of course, she will be richly rewarded. And we'll see in a moment that uh, ultimately she does have a, she will have a son. She won't remain childless. And one of her great, great, great you know, grandsons, how many generations later? Not sure, because the genealogy could be compressed, but she becomes the ancestor of David. Well, there are three more chapters, which we won't read except for the odd verse. Uh, the story in chapters two to four, well, it turns out Naomi has a relation on her husband's side, her husband uh, Elimelech, who died. And so uh, she knows who to ask for. But she's moving there as a widow. That's important because widows didn't have a lot of choice at this time. And that would also apply to Ruth. There are only so many things you could do. Now, according to the law of Moses, for the orphan, the widow, the foreigner, the, the poor, those bringing in the harvest were not to reap the very edge of the field. They were to leave that for those who might otherwise starve. And Naomi uh, presumably informed Ruth about this. Ruth understands that according to the law of Moses, if you're a widow and you don't have means, it's totally okay to follow the reapers, the gleaners, uh, to, to look at the edge of the field. And of course, she ends up in the field of Boaz. And uh, Boaz, uh, a very prominent and upright man of integrity, an Israelite, uh, is very supportive. And even he, he gives her 
even more, almost more than she can carry. There's one point where she goes away. He's given her about, you know, 20 kilograms of grain. I don't know how she would even carry that, but it's certainly much better than the alternative. Ruth, we see in these chapters, takes the initiative. This is one of her strong qualities. Uh, Naomi also, in fact, uh, chapters two and, oh, I'm missing a letter there, a, a, a number. Chapters two and three begin and end with Naomi. Ruth, in one of the most uh, <laughs> kind of, I wouldn't say risque, I don't think that's the right word, but it's potentially uh, unsettling and it's certainly surprising. In that chapter, where in the middle of the night, she's, she, she's uh, at uh, the feet of the sleeping Boaz and she proposes that he marry her. I mean, this is quite a step. I mean, not just, she's not just waiting to be proposed to, she makes the marriage proposal and she could have been rejected. But Boaz is willing to come to her rescue. He's willing to marry her, which will continue the line of Ruth. Okay, something else that uh, did not impress me, it, it, it did not strike me until my recent study of Ruth. And it, it's a connection between two verses. Well, so but when Boaz first meets her, when she's about to, she's been gleaning in the field, he says, basically, I've heard about you. I've heard great things about you. Look at verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Now, of course, we don't believe this is a literal statement that, you know, God, you know, somehow has wings, but God is portrayed sometimes in that way, not as a spiritual being with wings, no, but he's portrayed as a bird. Uh, he'll hide us in the shelter of his wings. I'm thinking of Psalm 91. And you'll find a number of passages on that, particularly in the Psalms. So this notion of protection. Now, when Ruth proposes marriage to Boaz, this is the middle of the night. Naomi has set her up, given her instruction to uh, wait until Boaz is asleep. Pay attention where he's lying, because I think it's probably a moonless night. She won't be able to see otherwise. And once he's asleep, she comes and she approaches them, and at midnight, it says, the man, which, by the way, that tells us they probably weren't going to bed after midnight. Okay, free point for those who stay up too late, like me. At midnight, the man was startled, and he turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. <laughs> he said, who are you? You know, because it's dark. And she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, the redeemer means this is another part of the law of Moses, that this relation uh, uh, legally can redeem her, can marry her, and basically rescue her from this childless situation so that her dead husband, his line will continue. And when she says, spread your wings, now maybe your version says the corner of your garment or something like that, but I looked it up. It's exactly the same word in Hebrew. It's exactly the same word, chanaf which means wing, which means skirt. So putting these verses together, we read of the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And Ruth says, spread the corner of your garment, the wings of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And this is a theme you can study later on. It's not the theme of my message today, but I think it's definitely worth pursuing. And remember even Jesus himself, uh, with tears 
that Jerusalem and uh, God's people would not repent. He said, I, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I've longed to gather you as a hen would gather her chicks. Not only does he use female imagery, that's important to note, but it's that same notion of, of protection, shelter under wings. So think of that as you go further. Again, Ruth is a woman of faith. Her closer relation plays it safe. And this closer relation is not Orpah, who did play it safe. This is the unnamed male. He realizes that if he buys this land, which is connected with uh, Elimelech and Ruth, then he has to marry her. And he realizes, wait a minute, if I have to marry her, ah, then my inheritance, the inheritance I give to my family, my offspring, that's going to be split up. Uh, it, it endangers my estate. And so he backs out, which is good news for Boaz and for Ruth. Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. He went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Obviously, this took a number of months, not just a single verse, okay? And we'll read finally from the very last verses of Ruth, and this is a time of celebration here. We won't read the genealogy at the end of the chapter, but we'll read the rest. The woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord, who's not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So notice the people, the women are rejoicing with Naomi, not with Ruth. Maybe they did that too. I don't know. But Naomi, maybe that's because they knew her. But continue. Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. That's surprising. That's another thing I had never noticed. You know, it's one thing to have her on the lap, but it's, you know, because grandparents love to have little grandchildren on their lap, but she becomes his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave to him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Here's another surprise. I mean, who names the child? Isn't it the mother or maybe the father, not the neighborhood women? <laughs> and anyway, they give him a name. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. But again, there may be more generations than just those. So the woman rejoiced over Naomi for having a son. Because really, great joy has come. Naomi at one point said, you know, don't call me that. Call me bitter Mara because her life, it was just so much pain. And some of us, I know we relate to this, women and men. But thanks to Ruth's devotion, not just to Naomi, but to the true God. Naomi, once again, has family, a place in the community. She fits in. She has honor. Uh, she's loved. And as mentioned, the royal line begins, because through Ruth's son, eventually David will be born. And if you know the genealogy of the Old and New Testaments, through David, Jesus is born. And so that royal line leads all the way to the Messiah. I have some thoughts for application, but I want to share just a couple more um, ruminations before I do that. As I've said, Ruth 1, our text, it's not exactly a marriage text. The wording seems appropriate in some ways, but this is more a confession of faith, a confession of faith from someone who's not an Israelite, someone 
who's an outsider. And this is a strong theme in the Old Testament, God's love for all the nations, even though often they're in an enemy relationship uh, uh, to, to Israel. But there are all these exceptions, and God loves uh, the nations, and ultimately God wants all the world to be blessed through Israel. And that was what he said to Abraham early in Genesis 12. Well, Ruth isn't declaring love for her future husband, but for her mother-in-law. And like all who come to God in the pages of Scripture, Ruth is displaying genuine faith. Genuine faith means acting on it. In her case, it meant stepping out, taking a risk. Now we should already start thinking about ourselves. Are we stepping out? I don't mean stepping out of quarantine or transgressing the law, but stepping out in some ways that are challenging to us. Oh, and of course, with Boaz, Boaz becomes her redeemer, and that's the word. Here we see an outcast, someone uh, presumably with very little future, uh, Ruth, and she's redeemed. And if Boaz redeems an outcast, imagine how God is able to redeem all outcasts to himself, outcasts like you and me. Does Naomi play it safe? No. Ruth, I wouldn't say she's playing it safe. She is uh, she's taking risks. Boaz, he's not playing it safe. It's a big decision uh, to, to take a spouse uh, to what well, you just read the book of Ruth. You'll see the transition. Orpah, uh, you know, the other uh, daughter of Naomi, yeah, she's uh, kind of playing it safe. The other man who's unnamed, uh, he's playing it safe. The one who says, I'm not going to marry Ruth. Uh, you know, I just that's going to endanger my estate, and so Boaz can do it. But the question now, now that we've seen what the text says, is to ask about ourselves. How about you and me? And if you want to play it safe, I have three strong suggestions. Don't share. Don't share your faith. Don't don't share about Jesus. Don't share because that way we won't be rejected. When in terms of our lives, don't open up. Don't let people know what's really going on, and then you won't get hurt. And finally, don't make any resolution. Don't make a plan, and certainly don't tell people about your plan. And if you make no resolution, if you aim at nothing, then, well, you won't fail. Now, obviously, that's not what we need to do. But I, I want to remind us that, like every book of the Bible, Ruth is relevant for our time. The message is for us, too. And just looking at the courage of these women, of Naomi and Ruth, should stiffen our resolve, should make us more likely to take a chance, not to play it safe, but to walk in faith. That's what she did. That's what I want to do. And I trust that's what you want to do also. God bless. And pray. I pray that this message will enter our hearts and make a real difference in our lives this week. Uh, think about these things as we very soon will be taking the community.